What's happening, family? Please show some support for my platform by going to anchor.fm slash I am necessary. That's anchor, A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M slash I am necessary and find the support button on that page. Click support and show your love because all proceeds from this podcast will go to something surrounding our children and their future and or the support of everyone who was impacted by COVID-19. Show your boy some love. Go to anchor.fm slash I am necessary and find the support tab and support. Hello and welcome to the I Am Necessary podcast. As always, this is your guy, Marcel. And today, consider yourself blessed because I have on the line with me three of my guys, three of my soldiers, three of my brothers from along my path. And uh, we just wanted to have a conversation and let you guys ear hustle and eavesdrop on just some things that everybody's going through, especially as black men. So I got three of my other brothers on the line and we're just going to just talk a little bit. I'm going to poke some things, fire out some questions and let these guys have at it. So let's start with some intros. First guy I want to introduce you to is, is my boy from Vallejo. His name is Carlos Morris. Los, introduce yourself. Hey, how y'all doing? Carlos Morris from Vallejo, live in Sacramento now. You know, got a, a family, been married uh, 29 years to Patricia Morris. And uh, we have three kids, two boys and a girl. How old? So the twins is 17. They just turned 17 last month on the 29th. And then my oldest son is uh, Carlos. He'll be 25 uh, October 26th. Okay, cool. So you got two young, two different eras, you know what I mean? One paving the way and the other one short behind. So that's cool. All right, next on the mic is my man Kwame Crooks. Kwame, what's happening, man? Nothing, man. I feel honored that you uh, inviting me to this chat. You know, we need to have more of these. My name is Kwame Crooks. You know, um, I live in uh, Gilbert, Arizona. I'm in software sales. You know, um, I'm not married, but my wife, my lady, and I have been together probably about ten years. We have two kids. The oldest one is about five, and I got a little hellion coming up. He's two years old. Yeah, and I know you, Marcel. You know, you were my director when I was at the University of Phoenix. I remember you were director of B and T before you started managing D. You know, so I've always seen you around. You always had a positive word. You know, you've always been a, a mentor to the entire group as a whole. So I feel really honored that you invited me in. All right, man. My pleasure, man. Next on the mic is my guy Eric Booker. Book, what's up, man? What's up, Sal? How you doing, brother? <laughs> cool in the game, man. <laughs> you invited me man uh get a chance to sit down talk with some brothers about some things that are going on it's really important i appreciate you being the lead on that because uh actually you know from the time that i met you you've been leading on stuff so i appreciate it uh grew up in vallejo with you i live in rockland now i'm in a committed relationship with my i guess you could call it my common law wife <laughs> we've been together for about 10 years too we have uh, three kids all girls, a 14-year-old Trinity, six-year-old Makai, and three-year-old Ashanti. Oh, yeah. 
<laughs> so you might have to change your name to Charlie if you got three angels in the in the hut. <laughs> I got three angels. Oh, I'm looking out for them devils out there. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. That's awesome. All right, man. Let's jump right in. I'm gonna hit each of you with this question. I'm gonna start with you, Los. And the question is just to set some framework for everything, just about your your growing up. So, did you grow up with a father? in your home nah not at all I, I you know i i was uh one of those children that you, you see your father but he he not your father you know so everybody knew my dad but he wasn't you know he wasn't here with us in the house i had you know i was lucky you know i had a, a strong mom strong two strong grandmothers and a lot of uncles mm -hmm. and uh that, that filled that, that void. Any young man, you need your father. Mm -hmm. But my, my grandmother and my uncles made sure that, you know, we was well taken care of. We, you know, we got the things that we needed. Grew up, you know, respectable and and uh, didn't get in trouble and, and, you know, played sports and all the things that a child need to have growing up. But yeah, didn't have a father. Okay. All right. What about you, Quan? Yeah, you know, yeah, definitely. Me and my father is uh, pretty close, close enough. You know, like anything else, looking back, you know, got your issues, but I can't gotta say he definitely did his best as he knew how to, to take time and spend some time with me. Uh, you know, he gave me my love for reading. You know, we used to go to bookstores every Friday, um, and then we go see a movie. So I love reading, love sci-fi, fantasy. That's kind of what we share a lot of. A lot of our relationship is based on, for the most part. And then he's also an entrepreneur, so like I was following him around, joke with him around while he did his business. Book, I know the answer to this, but why don't you tell the people about you and your your father? Yeah, my dad was my dad was always there, raised in his house, argued with him. Funny thing, man, even as a young kid, I would debate my dad about things, and then when I go out in the street, I sound like him talking <laughs> to everybody else. <laughs> I never wanted to admit to him. I mean, it probably took me like till I was in my late twenties to be able to tell him about how much I learned from him. You know, it's just that animosity or something about that growing up in that house and him being there and me kind of, you know, wanting to swell up a little mm -hmm. bit. But man, the dude was always there, always listening, always at our games. Yeah. Uh, always, I mean, I remember one time, I just briefly, just to say, he was on his work, his way to work at Travis Air Force Base. He had to be there at uh, four o'clock. He stopped by our game when we was playing at Armio, stopped by in the outfield on uh, Airbase Parkway looking until he had to go and then went to went to work, man. Dude was just awesomely committed now. Yeah. To, uh, yeah. A great model for me to try to live up to. Yeah. And uh no Los and Book, y'all know my father rested in heaven, but back in the day we some of us were fortunate enough to have that father that shared sons meaning like i thought i had one brother why why i feel like i got a thousand brothers because you know my pops was a pops to a lot of people man he was a a real tough act to follow but i i will say he laid a a, a great blueprint for which i am eternally grateful and i guess so on the flip side of that i'm gonna ask you this book 
why do you think that most black men are outwardly closer with their mother than their father? And what I mean by that is, you know, when you see a lot of black athletes on TV, they say, hi, mom. You know, they don't they don't say hi, dad, a lot. Or growing up, if somebody said, your mama, time to fight. So why do you think that is? Where does that come from? You know, I think because maybe, maybe our mothers are the ones that are have been there to nurture us, make us feel better, a little more gentle, <laughs> a little more kind words at different times than our fathers being real direct sometimes and, and just laying down laws and facts for us. And, and when we're growing up as children, you know, what do you want? You, you'd rather be comforted with some softness than sharpened with some steel. So <laughs> it felt better. And as, I, as I think about your question, though, I think about the type of, of mom I had and she was so tough. I'm not exactly sure why I would feel like I needed to stick up for her when really she was always sticking up for me. Uh, but it must be some just kind of ingrained in us, I guess, that, you know, that's the way it's going to go. Because I always figured my dad would be able to take care of himself. Mm-hmm. He would never need anybody to step for him. So if you, if you want to talk something, say something about my dad, go talk to him <laughs> and see how that goes for him. But you're not going to make it to my mom. Right, 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 right. That is awesome, man. Moms just carry that. They're quiet, but they carry a big stick. Most mothers have few words, and sometimes they don't have to use their words. They just got this thing with their eyes and their affect that says, all you need to know. And most of those looks pretty much say, I wish you would. (laughs) You know, so, yeah. Most of our moms are some strong, strong ladies, and mainly because they had to be. Quam, let me shoot to you, man. I'm going to switch reels a little bit. So, as a black man, so outside of the obvious law enforcement, what type of pressure do you feel like you face as a father in today's society? I think for me, personally, the, the biggest pressure I have, especially in today's current society of African American in America, is trying to teach my kid that the history of his people don't start the civil rights movement. And making sure that he grow up with a sense of pride and self-worth that combats all the messages that he's getting from the outside, that we're getting from the outside. Trying to just create a plan that's purposeful and, and maintaining it too as well, because we still got a lot of other stuff to do while we're raising our kids, right? Mm-hmm. So just to kind of give an example of that, like when you know George Floyd happens and you know we're watching all this stuff coming down the pipe, you know I talked to my wife and she's from Ghana. Right, and her mother's wife from California, so it's a very unique mix there. And I'm like, okay, when we go looking for books, everything's Malcolm X, mm-hmm. everything's Martin Luther King, right? Not not disavowing those guys, they're great guys, but <laughs> can my little black boy go on an adventure, right? Can he can he go do nothing? <laughs> Come back. Can we talk to him about like just all the other positive role models, like um, Lonnie Johnson, the guy mm-hmm. from the, that that created the Super Soaker? Yep. You know, can we talk to him about Madden C.J. Walker? Right, first black girl. Can we talk about those? You know, Shirley Chisholm without having to talk about the struggle all the time. Because I think at this age, at four years old, sorry, five years old now, going on six, I don't need to hit him with all of that. He's going to get that. We can talk about that. But I don't think he's ready to comprehend that. I think at this age, it's more about how you kind of build up their pride in, in, in their people um, and to combat all this, you know, and say for this white or Caucasian imagery. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So that's that's kind of the hardest thing that I'm, that, that I'm struggling with, that we're struggling with, is kind of how to put that forth without automatically switching his gears to say, wait, so my people 
people were slaves, so we're not work. We're starting right. to ask questions about color nowadays, and we're trying to figure out like when do we, how far do we go? How far do we go, and when do we go that far? You know? Yeah. So that's kind of the biggest trouble challenge we're having now. Okay. All right. Anybody else want to chime in on that? For me, is is I got two boys and and a daughter, and where we live at is. Uh, not a lot of blacks where we live. I mean, it, it, there is some, but in the school they go to, you know, it's not a lot of black students. And occasionally there's a little kick up of some dust with some, you know, I don't know, they, they got these Confederate flag kids running around with, you know, Confederate flag patches on their backpacks and whatnot. And sometimes I get surprised that what my kids already know. You know, it's, it's just... You're worried. You want to keep your kids safe. Mm-hmm. The climate is is just crazy right now with what our president, what what he's preaching separatism, division, division. I should say he's he's dividing us. You know, I don't want them. I don't want them to grow up hating white folks, but I want them to be cautious. Uh, and it's it's kind of crazy because when we were kids, we didn't we didn't have to go through all that. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Vallejo is pretty diverse, mm-hmm. so we didn't really. I mean, you would occasionally see something that wasn't cool, but it wasn't a lot of that, you know. And now it's like you wonder what's going on in your kid's mind. Mm-hmm. You know, you want them to just be be kids. You know, you want them to enjoy growing up. It's just kind of, uh, it's just kind of crazy right now. You know, yeah. it's it's a lot of worry. Yeah, and it kind of it jam it, it it jams my radar a little bit because, like you said, Los, when we were kids, we were colorblind. I mean, we just play with everybody and everything. You know, racism was this thing that was somewhere else. It wasn't where we were. But now you think back like these, the thoughts that we're seeing from people and the actions and lack thereof, they've probably always had these thoughts, right? But they just were inward instead of outward. But we never really felt that. So people could have been thinking negative things the whole while. But they've never really uh, put them out on the field, so to speak. So that kind of kept us immune to it. But nowadays, it seems like things that are happening that are flushing the truth out from a lot of people. And, you know, you're at this dilemma. Okay, you think this way and you feel this way. But should I judge you on that or should I judge you if you take action on that? You know what I mean? Or in action these days. So it's, it's it's a fine rope. For us to, to walk and not only us going through it, but we have to learn really quick because we have sequels that we have to also teach this once we wrap our heads around it. So it's kind of on the job training and there is no blueprint for this because this is all kind of unprecedented right now. And we really have to expedite our learning and our comprehension of this because we have to teach and our kids are going to learn whether we sit them down to teach or they're going to learn just based on our actions, based on how we're talking to our, our significant others behind the closed doors. They're going to act on how we emote when we're making breakfast. They're going to be like, because kids can read that stuff. So as far as the, the pressures, we, we got a lot of pressure on us, but I think we are the most suited and capable to handle this because the time is now. And let me bounce back to you, Los, with that. As a man, as a father, would you rather be two-part question fear or respected and would you rather be feared or respected by your children question one and question two feared or respected by other men uh respected i, I, I never want my 
my kids to be afraid of me, I, you know, because if they need you, they need to be able to approach you. You don't want them to fear you. You don't want, you know, you don't want to be this monster to your, your kids. Respe you know, respect, you know, you want to be respected and then you teach them to be respectable and in turn other people or respect them. And then with other people, you want to be respected as well. But sometimes my grandmother once said, you know, it's okay if somebody fears you because that might keep you from having a battle. I don't, you know, I, I, I don't want anybody to fear me because I'm not out there trying to be this person looked at in that way. I want to just be respected and, and I show the same respect in return. But it's, it's kind of crazy now because it, it seems like it's a lot of people that don't, they don't, they don't fear us. You know, they're starting not to. And maybe maybe it is fear. Maybe it is fear that causes them to do the things that they do. Mm -hmm. uh, fear and, and, and not understanding. But I, I would just rather be respected. I, I, mm -hmm. I don't want anybody to be afraid of me. I want to be able to be a person that can be approached and we have a dialect between the two of us and be able to conversate. So I, I would rather be respected in both situations, I would say. Okay. All right. Anybody else in that book? Because I, I feel the same way. I feel, especially with my children, I'd rather be respected. And thinking about it more deeply, listening to Lowe's, I mean, I want I want people to respect me outside my house, too. I want to be respected in the community. However, I notice sometimes, it, and, and so, like Marcel, you know me, so you, mm -hmm. for you to see me smile is easy. It's just like when I see you smile. It's an easy thing because we know each other. Um, sometimes when I step out of my house, I have a mask on because I don't want a lot of people getting that close to me because I don't feel that way about everybody because I have to discern what their intentions are first, right? So like I, I mentioned to my brother Andre Smith the other day, my neighbors on the other side of me think I'm a wonderful guy. They know me. We talk all the time. Two doors down from them, eh, not so much. Because we don't have that kind of interaction and we don't have to, I wave. And if they smile, I smile. If they stop and talk, I'm always willing to talk with folks. I, I love talking with folks. But I'm in the, especially in this climate, I am more apprehensive in how I approach people and how they approach me and what their intents are. Because as you mentioned earlier, there are things that are coming out mm -hmm. that get demonstrated now. Uh, I remember seeing a Confederate flag up here because I'm in Rockland, so it's very conservative. So I've seen that flag earlier. And all I thought was, all right, well, somebody got the flag, they, you know, whatever, Yahoo, country, whatever. But now I am on alert about that because it feels like that might be the start of something. And mm -hmm. I need to be prepared for that. Yeah, exactly. And the funny thing about the Confederate flag is when all this this consciousness and awareness started happening i had to sit down with some of my my white friends because they didn't know what to do some of them shooting me texts like hey man i don't even know what do you need you know what i mean and to me that's a win you know what i mean the fact that you even reaching out i know you might not have the tools so the fact that you reached out let me know that you care and we had a little sit down and one of my guys told me that uh him and his, his wife was elbowing him tell him tell him <laughs> you know tell him and so he was like man uh, i don't know how to say this but he's from michigan and he was telling me about they used to 
have parties in the woods, this football team, and they would they were Confederate flagged up, right? And he said, so he apologized for that. And he, he apologized because of his ignorance. He's like, I didn't even know what that meant, <laughs> right? So here's a Confederate flag. Other people are doing it. I, I had no idea what that meant. And he was like, I'm apologizing now because now I know what it means. So, and it's years later and I, I wasn't there, but he was like, this is, it wasn't about me. It was more about him cleansing himself now that he's been educated. So I had to, I was like, this is what I'm talking about right here. You know, I saluted him and I saluted that because to your point, Los, if I would have stood up and knocked the table over because he's waving Confederate flags, now he's going to cower inside and that will never come up again. And the next time he tried to speak about it, he would choose not to to a black man because he's scarred, right, right, by that reaction that my reaction pumped fear versus how we did handle it. My reaction pumped it respect. Right. And so these are the types of things that I just spoke about a little earlier when this transpired. Now I have another book to, to teach my son. Right. Because all these things, I'm leaving the blueprint for him. Hopefully it's not even he doesn't need it by the time he's an adult. Hopefully we've we've made some change where it's in the cabinet if you ever need it. But hopefully you don't have to pull it out. So, man, it's crazy. Go ahead, Quan. Let me ask a question, right? Real quick. So, you know, a couple of things. Like, I know Los earlier said, made a comment about being judged and judging and, and trying to, you know, trying to acknowledge where what someone's intent is before mm -hmm. you open that engagement. And, and Eric, you also mentioned that, you know, you were, you had a mask up and almost a guard up, um, and you're waiting for them to first initiate before we initiate, right? And I understand that across the board. From my perspective, I always try to give, I'm, I'm, always, I'm, I'm always pretty easy with a smile. Right, most people use a smile and acknowledgement and a good morning and, and a hey, right? But my question is, you know, how do, in the, in, the, in the climate of all this divisiveness, how do we kind of be the change we want to see mm -hmm. in, in respect to social, in respect to dialogue and open dialogue, mm -hmm. right? With people that we don't agree with, right? Or may not understand. And I, and I purpose that to say, I understand. And I said to a colleague of mine one day, I said, listen, if you're a Trump supporter, I almost feel like you're automatically a threat to my life. And that's not right, right? Like, <laughs> right. you really look down to it, that's not even fair. But I can't, it's something I feel and I just don't know how to overcome it. So how do we overcome that and how do we teach our kids to overcome that? The thing is, we have to do more responding versus reacting. Because our reaction side, you hit me, I hit you back. And then I ask questions, right? Versus responding, you hit me. And then I have to sit there and say, ask the question first, like, well, OK, well, why did you hit me? And it's because I want to fight. OK, well, now we got to fight. Right. But why did you hit me? Well, there was a fly on your shoulder. Oh, that makes sense. So when we get into the respond mode, we have more information to now influence our response to anything. And to your point, Quam, you know, I've talked myself down. OK, this is a guy over here. He's a Trump supporter for whatever reason. There might be something in there that might be some good that I have seemed to overlook. So to your point, you can you can be a Trump supporter. You can wave your flag. You know, it's like you can root for some other football team. You can root for some other basketball team. It's the same thing. But your actions are going to dictate now my response, because when Obama was in office, they were feeling the same way. <laughs> you know what I mean? So we have to calm ourselves down and break it down a little bit and the intent. What is the intent or what are your actions? Because 
We've we've heard words all day long, right? You got to have caution, but you don't want your caution to have you ten toes up. You know what I mean? So it is it is a fine line for you to balance. And to your point, Quam, when you have your son looking at you, he kids just happy as can be. You know what I mean? So if you mean mugging a neighbor you never spoke to, guess what your son's gonna be? He gonna look at you with that same mug like. Like who is that, Dad? Now he's got he's mirroring your mug, right? So it, it goes back to originally, man. We have to learn on the job and really assess these things, and that's why I'm glad we are having this conversation. Cause who else we gonna have it with, right? And now I can get something from Los that I didn't think about. I can get something from Quam that I didn't think about. Instead of trying to take this on on our own, when we may not be equipped enough yet to deal with these things. So that's why we need to just have these types of conversations because all of us, we've been through a lot and all of us are level-headed and this is still new for all of us. And with that, let me ask you this, Quam. What do you say to those? There's going to be some people that listen to this. I got a lot of closet listeners, right? They don't, they just, <laughs> you know, they just listen amongst themselves or whatever and they judge or whatever. It's all good. But what do you say to those folks that have the belief that all black men are lazy, they love to live off of the government, they're never there with their families and things like that. What do you say to that? <laughs> man, that don't, don't even make sense. Um, <laughs> for starters, <laughs> to, me, to be quite honest. You know, like the concept that black men or families, whatever, are black people are lazy, it feels, it's just, it feels like such an archaic stereotype at this stage, you know, and I, I always go back to the thought that, and again, I'm going to say this, and most, I'm saying this to you, so I know you didn't grow with your father, but I also feel it's a generation, it's also a generational gap, is to say that none of the black men that I know in my generation aren't with their kids. They may have grown up without their birth father, but today, they're all very involved in their lives, 100%. You know, so when someone says they're not in their, they're not in their family's lives, or they're lazy, I don't know any black men that don't either own a job or isn't an entrepreneur, right? So, and I'm assuming if you're saying this to me, you're not black. So who do you think know more black people, me or you? <laughs> you know, so I think I'm probably a better representation of what's going on in the culture than what you're seeing on TV and so on and so forth. So to me, it's like, it's like someone, if, if someone says, if someone wants to say that to me or someone wants to make that comment, I tell anybody, just like, don't even talk to that person. It's not worth your energy, right? Yeah. Um, they're living in a time period that no longer exists. Yeah. And the funny thing, real quick to that, when I was in the barbershop, uh, we were trying to talk about solutions, right? And one of the barbers said, the solution is, no offense to anybody, but everybody who is 55 and over, they need to go. <laughs> because that's the cutoff, <laughs> you know, with this mindset, you know what I mean? And it, it was like, he was like, all races, you know, we all need a reset, but 55 and over, those are the folks that once they start to wipe away we got this new generation that at least open the conversation open to listening you know and that kind of thing i thought that was pretty funny and let me just add to it real quick right because when i quit back i grew up in new york right so and i grew up in brooklyn everybody around me was black or caribbean black and caribbean right caribbean nigerian <laughs> god today and whatever the case may be and i came to arizona so this is the, and started working at university of phoenix so it's a lot of you know white people most white people ever worked with in my entire life and being there, I've heard more stories about white fathers literally writing off the rights to their children, right? I've never heard of that from a black, from a black man. So just, I take that as a weapon to say, like, 
And the funny thing that we're even having this conversation and we're leading with, what about this black man? What a, well, white man, black man. When I travel out of the country, guess what they call me? American. Nobody in no country, no other country ever refers to me as an African-American or anything like that. They see us as Americans. Even when white people go out of the country, they're American. When black people go out of the country, they're Americans. And these are foreigners. But yet in-house, we got to divide. On your application, I need to know. <laughs> I need to know who you are. Just fill this out. It's optional. But you still need to know a, a little bit about you because I got some some quotas to hit and things like that, man. It's just crazy how, how that comes about, man. But I just thought that was interesting, you know, being out of the country. These folks, just they just see us all as American. Uh, Book, are you registered to vote? Oh, yes. Did yes, you sir. vote in the last ele presidential election? I sure did. Quam, you registered to vote? Absolutely. Did you vote in the last presidential Absolutely. election? Absolutely. Los, are you registered to vote? Yes, sir. Did you vote in the last presidential election? Yes, I did. Yeah, I just want people to see, you know, that we're all in this, man. We're not, you know, we are all in this and we're all for the right thing. This is, it's not a color thing. It's just a, a ethics thing. I mean, it's just a humanitarian thing. It's just a come, a come on man kind of thing. So when we start to say things about President Trump, people always want to put it in a race thing. That's the last thing on my mind. I'm just some of the things that this man does is just a head scratcher. And that's just taking color out of it. Right. This dude is he's different. Let me just say that this man is different and he's he's kind of out of control, in my opinion. So and it doesn't even allow you to look beyond all of that to see, well, what are his strengths? Because I'm sure he has some kind of strength, but the areas of opportunity are so glaring we can't allow ourselves to even just see, well, what, just looking at you, sir, for what you have, what, what strengths do you have? And maybe we could build off of that, but that's for another podcast. Um, so book, have you ever been called, wait, let me back it up before I go to that one. Los, how do you feel about black men referring to each other in passing as nigger? Like, what's up, my nigga? When I was younger, I, I, I kind of didn't have a problem with it. But now that I'm older, I have an issue like uh, if we out in public and there's older elders around us and we toss in that back and forth and they see that or other races see that and they think that that's OK um, if they say it. And so as I've gotten older, I've kind of pushed away from that. You know, it, it just uh, to me, I feel like. If they see us in a certain light. They think of us in a certain way. And when I say they, I don't just mean white folks. I mean other races as well. My perspective on how we are viewed by other races is like we are basically considered the lowest on the totem pole in, in other people's eyes. And uh, if we don't start pushing ourselves up above that and, and showing that we are not that, we're going to continue to be looked upon in a negative light. And that, that bothers me. It just, you know, you see, the, you know, these young kids and you even see kids that aren't even black dropping in bombs all, you know, to each other out in public. And then when I look and I see people that are 
our elders and they they hear this and the looks on their faces is just kind of disappointing. I think we should have more pride for ourselves and teach that to our children and, and help them get away from that, that negativity. You know, I understand how that came about and, and people say, you know, they're, they're taking claim to that word and making it a, ter- a term of endearment instead of negativity, but it, you know, other people don't see it like that. We, we can say whatever we want to say, but uh, other people don't see it that way. So I, I'm pushing away from. It. I don't. I don't think that's something that we should do. Okay, Quan, what's your thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, you know, yeah, I'm probably a little bit younger than you guys. <laughs> um, so you know, I grew up using it, and I think it's an age thing. I don't know. I I, I don't really have as strong an opinion on on the term. To be quite frank, um, I don't agree with. I I like to think I don't agree with other races using it, but. You know, like, I think a lot of it has to do with culture, right? So I grew up again in Brooklyn, and it's black, it's Hispanic, different types of Hispanic, whether you're Dominican, Mexican, you know, and the term just gets used. So, you know, there's a lot of argument around, like, this guy 6'9", using the term nigga. Like, you know, a lot of my um, friends from Cali say, you okay with him using it? I'm like, yo, he's from Brownsville, right? Like, he grew up around the same people I grew up around with, right? So... If he's, it, it doesn't it doesn't sign sign the same connotation to me of like Eminem suddenly dropping the word right because with Eminem when Eminem get mad he's calling me an ER right mm-hmm. when this guy gets mad from where I'm from he's not calling me an ER right he's trying to find something more powerful you know so you know it's it's, it's contentious I get it I'm with um, Carlos that as we get older we kind of got to stop using it and we do because we kind of move into a more professional setting where it's just not acceptable but I do know for myself if I'm around my friends and I get and, and I'm emphasizing something I'm like yeah so you believe what he did it's a, this is a different vernacular um, than when I'm sitting in the corporate office you know yeah and we use it I think we're growing more to use it amongst ourselves right so we can sit up here and say something on the mic, blah, 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 and then we cut the mic off, and we, this nigga, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, <laughs> you know, we're trying our best to reel it back, but it's just so ingrained in us, man, when it's easy just to substitute brother, you know what I mean? Something like that, but it's deep. I mean, this thing is deep, real deep. And so on the flip side of that, let's talk about it, Book. Have you ever been called ER, nigger? Which time? <laughs> Which time? <laughs> yeah. I have. My earliest memory of that is in Vallejo, me and my mom, I'm probably like seven, maybe eight, but I really think I was really on the young side because I was holding her hand, waiting to go across the crosswalk to Safeway that was on Broadway, right by Corpus Field, by the Mm -hmm. high school. It used to be that Safeway, and across the street was a New Vallejo Market. Yeah. We used to always go to New Vallejo Market to get all the stuff that we couldn't get a Safeway. So we're going across the street. My mom, we're just waiting for the you know traffic to stop because there was no light there. And in the truck coming by, two white guys, F you nigga. And I was like, the first time I've ever heard that. And stunned, my mom, you know, she just like put her head up. And we started going across the street, didn't say nothing else about it. But it, clearly, I'm, I'm 52. It stuck with me. It hit me hard. And each time after that, it has hit me hard. Playing baseball up in Washington, I'm on deck, swinging, waiting to get ready. And I hear from the crowd, this effing nigga keeps swinging. And it's, I wonder about this nigga's mother. 
and it just keeps going on. And it's like, all right, I can't. I know I can't hit the baseball if I'm paying attention to this. So I have to just turn my back on it and act like it's not happening. But it 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 cuts deep. So just if I could to talk about the nigga, my brother, my nigga, mm-hmm. and versus the thing is, is that when other people start using it, because we use it, I don't really like it very much, mm-hmm. right? So I was at the park with my daughter, it's like five years ago, my oldest daughter, and these Latino kids are running around. Nigga this, nigga that, nigga this, nigga that. And if I'm just, the blood is just boiling up on me to the point where I say, hey, <laughs> we're not gonna be no more niggas over here. And if the kid looked at me like, oh, like, don't you don't you listen to rap music? <laughs> That's the kind of look he gave me. <laughs> I'm a, I didn't know I was doing anything wrong. And and the fact is, I think that's on us because mm-hmm. our culture, no, nobody wants to be black, but everybody wants to be black. Right. So they adopt our culture and want to use our language because our language is always hip and cooler than what's in the mainstream. So as they do that, personally for me, I was more prepared for that. When I was tw- in my 20s, I'm not prepared for that in my 50s uh, or my 40s, for that matter, because that's when it happened. And it hit me. I'm like, nah, that's not OK, because I know when we talk, it don't mean anything other than endearment. But when other people start saying it, it just it's under my skin a little bit, it hits me a little bit differently in it, it um, because the design of it is to hurt. And it's effective in that way. Um, it is a little bit dehumanizing, if you will. Um, and I hate to give any power like that away, but the, you know, the truth is, if it hurts, it hurts. Whether I act like it hurts or not, it's still there. Pain is real. Yeah, and it's funny. No matter what kind of bullet you put in the gun, when it fires, it's going to cause some, some damage. But us, you know, a black man can say, man, that's my nigga. And then you let a white dude turn around and say the same thing, all hell gonna break loose, right? And I, I think uh, one thing that made me scratch my head to your point, well, two things. First, I got a one of my white buddies, you know, he's hip hop down. And we're riding in his car one day, and he's playing sound, it might have been Snoop or something. And every time the N word came up, he got weird, right? So he asked me, he was like, hey man, is it cool, you know, if I just sing this song as it is written? And I'm like, you know, absolutely. And then I seen a couple years ago, was it Kendrick Lamar called this young white lady up on stage and he handed her the mic and she was singing his song and it had the N-word in it. So she said it and they stopped the music, right? And was looking at her like she had lost her mind. You know what I mean? Like he say, she's singing your song. You know what I mean? She ain't, it's not that kind of connotation. It's just... I'm, t- you know, you got this out on the airways, and now I say it, and now you gonna look at me like that. It was just a real head scratcher, but it just goes to show how confused we are about the word, and just how deep this one word has just haunted us for years and years. You know, what about you, Los? You ever been called the ER? Yeah, uh, uh, kind of recently. I remember it was, it was, I believe it was. It was going to be Mother's Day. It was like the day before Mother's Day. And usually for Mother's Day, I cook for my wife. And so uh, I went to Costco, 
they usually have like the sales on steak and lobster. You know, I cook steak and lobster and uh, grab these, what are they, the chocolate-covered strawberries and stuff like that. It was either Mother's Day or Valentine's Day, one of the two. And so I'm leaving out of the Costco, and I'm in, they have like a little crosswalk in the parking lot. So I'm crossing, and a Middle Eastern lady in a brand-new Silverado truck, she's like rolling, like she's not going to stop, like she's going to just run right over me. And so I'm like, and I looked at her, and I'm like, man, what's going on? And she, she like stopped within inches of hitting me and then called me a nigger. <laughs> and keep in mind, the, she, she was one of them dark-skinned Middle Eastern people. <laughs> Oh, she might have been Pakistani or whatever, but she was darker than me. And I, I got to say, I, I I got a little tempered sometimes. And I had a, they served this uh, ice cream, the soft serve ice cream. <laughs> I had one in my hand. So I tossed it onto her brand new truck. And she sped off and then she stopped. And I was like, well, you know, what you stopping for? So she was pulled up, and I guess her husband came and got in the truck. But he didn't He didn't have nothing to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, he got on the truck and, and told her to go on and pull off or whatever. But that that was like just a couple years ago. And I was like, it, 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 at first I was upset, but then when I got in the car, I, I kind of laughed because I was like, he was damn near blacker than me, <laughs> you know, trying to <laughs> call me a, you know, a nigga. And then it's like, and then you ask yourself, because it's not a white person, you say, you know, to yourself, like, everybody looks at us this way. Every race looks at us this way. And not, and I don't, and, and not everyone, but it's a lot of it. It's, I'm not saying everybody is has this hatred for us, but it's a lot of it out there. It's a lot of it to be noticed, you know. And if she's saying it, you got to say, okay, well, she got it from somebody, mm-hmm. you know. They're they, they not even from here, you know. And, you know, had an accent and everything on it, right. <laughs> you know. So, I mean, it's it's crazy. I mean, a lot of times in my situation, because, you know, I carry a firearm, you know, I got to kind of de-escalate everything. And a lot of times, you know, you just kind of laugh because you know that you can handle the situation if it escalated. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times I, I kind of, you know, I try to keep myself from getting upset. But it's, it's, it's a lot of that out there. It's yeah. a lot of people that are emboldened now. Yeah. And, and they think that they could do that. Yeah. And I just wonder, is it a lack of education? Like, what are you really trying to say? You reach for this word, but what are you feeling? Right. That you, you you chose that word. Are you upset with me, ma'am? Or do you hate me, ma'am? But that's just a word that they just go to. And I would love to know. You said that word. I get it. But explain. So what was the meaning behind you calling me that name? I went to school in Nebraska. So I heard it day in, day out. And I honestly say not one time have I ever like, oh, it sparked some kind of reaction. Like, I'm going I'm to get you. I always laughed at it a lot. Sometimes I just put it out of my head because it was ingrained in me that that's just a word man you know as long as there's no action behind it we're good we're good and so i think for us if we stop giving it that kind of power right 
every time we hear it, it's going to spark a reaction. So it's a game now. You know, watch this. Watch this. Watch when I call this black dude a nigga. Watch what happens. Right? And we fall for it every time. Right? And we have to get beyond that. But again, it's we have to do a lot of reprogramming. Because like yeah. we said in the beginning, you know, imagine if I got my son with me. I can't un unplay that. Right? If I react, react it instead of responding, now he's got that ingrained in his hard drive. And there's no words I can say. Because kids are deaf when it comes to their learning. They're visual. Right. So it's not do as I say it's and we should step into this. Do as I do. Right. And so that's why it's going to take a lot of us unlearning and reprogramming and our semantics have to change. And for guys like us, that's easy. We're loaded. You know what I mean? We got a lot of ammunition. We got a lot of resources. It's not a problem. Going back to my man in the barbershop saying if you're 57, 58, it might be a little tougher for you to, to get over that hump. So we have to start that process now. What about you, Quam? You ever been called the word? Never been called a nigger. Um, I had another dude, a friend of my cousin's, who was, you know, I remember my cousin came around and he's like, hey, yo, I got this guy coming over, but I just want you to know he uses, he uses nigger. I'm like, not around me. He's like, no, no, don't worry. I told him, like, you, you can't be using that around you. I'm like, you really let him do that? <laughs> he's like, yeah, I mean, that's what he's facing queen. I'm like, dude, okay. I'm like, Drake, listen, oh, you know Drake. I'm like, yo, Drake, listen, understand. When he get mad, he's gonna call you a nigger, right? And he's like, nah, nah, nah. Lo and behold, they must have went to a bar. They he got into an argument with the bouncer, and he called the bouncer a nigger because they threw him out, right? And like I told you, it just happens every single time. It's yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. And again, we we got a lot of work to do, man. And we have to we have to be patient. We have to be mindful. We have to be present. And like I said, we have a lot of unlearning to do. And speaking of unlearning, let me ask you this book, just switching gears a little bit. Where do you think it comes from? And correct me if I'm wrong, if this doesn't apply to any of you, but for a man in general, but especially a black man, crying can be deemed as a weakness when people see you cry. That's a, it's a, I think that's, that's part of our culture. But it's also a part of the broader culture, so it's not just—it's not just on us mm -hmm. with that, you know. That's the, the, you know, John Wayne hero stuff that you know men don't show their emotions. Um, which, if you looked at that whole thing as a, a big picture, emotions—that's everything. Mm -hmm. That's anger too. So, um, really, should be that we're not losing control. But for us in our community. It get, I think it um, is really highlighted because it comes with another a lot of other words to describe you if you're a kid, even as a kid, because that's where we learn that, right? Mm -hmm. You got to hold that in. That mask I was talking about wearing earlier, that's mm -hmm. the same mask. Hold it in. Don't let them see. You're not vulnerable because if you're vulnerable, somebody's going to take advantage of you. So don't let anybody ever see that. Um and, and I think we, I mean, that, that uh, whatever, that the testosterone that courses through us really embraces that. Because we'd rather be, let somebody see us be angry than to see us be sad. Um, and, and all of our culture supports that. So if I cry, you might call me a sissy. Then I'm going to have to defend not being a sissy and we're going to have to fight. I'm going to be a punk or some other 
derogatory term that's going to be used to uh, take away my masculinity because I've allowed myself to be vulnerable. So we only get to be vulnerable in certain situations when it's acceptable and for a very brief amount of time. And then you've got to suck that back in. So if you lose someone, you could cry and you could drink. And if you cry while you drink it, you get a pass. And you need to turn that around tomorrow so that you don't do it anymore. Yeah. Okay, because you need to get over it, which is not a it's not healthy for mm-hmm. us. It's probably why women outlive us. It's because they get to talk to each other like we're talking right now mm-hmm. and be able to get that stuff out so you don't hold on to that stress while you're trying to be the man, trying to be the walk, your most best walk that you can. Uh, but I've learned, <laughs> I have learned, especially as I've gotten older, life happens and you go through things that some of the best things that I've ever done for myself is to let that stuff out, to actually allow myself, give myself permission to cry because it is remarkably therapeutic to release all of that toxic stuff from inside your body and not hold on to it. Yeah, and I agree. And we have to, again, this is another thing that we have to redefine because we got we have children now right and most of us were raised you better stop crying before i give you something to cry about right (laughs) that's how we were raised and i mean to your point i remember when my sister passed away i was at the wake and i was crying and one of my father's friends came over and put his hand on me he's like you got six seconds to get that out right you need to hitch up your boots Hitch up your boots, right? And what am I gonna just question this man? You know what I mean? I'm like, okay, he's right. I'm not being a I'm not being a man right now. I'm not being a man right now, right? And so where else is all that gonna go? I'm de- I'm imploding, right? Because I don't have the means or the resources to know how to deal with this kind of emotion to let it out, right? So I have to now teach my kids. Like, when is it okay to cry? Even in those moments where your kids are just being annoying and they're crying because of something that's just ridiculous, right? You have to address that. And you have to make sure you address it, address it properly because it might not be a second and third opportunity. So again, these are more things that we have to kind of not let go by the wayside. We really have to own it. And this is another thing that we have to be present and conscious in our kids' lives in every moment because they're... They're going through life like that. And if we miss it, we miss it. And it's going to show up four years later in their development. You're going to see, oh, man, I was leaking oil on that part. That's why my son is acting like that. And you can't catch everything, right? But if you know you have to be more present and more mindful and not let life raise your children, they're going to come out a little better on the other side, right? Quam, what about you? What about this, this man crying thing? gonna ask a question around that right so mm-hmm. let's start with my question i'd say you know i'm all for it you know i think a man should cry um over my last few years i've got more comfortable with it you know um with some things going on with, with my family and such and like you said you just gotta let it, sometimes you just gotta let it out sometimes a good cry i've said tomorrow it's like man stay with me i feel like i need a good damn cry bro <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. and i just go for a walk and just start and i just let it cry as i, as I kind of just think it think it through you know i just come back with a little weight off because at the end of the day it's life and you can't control everything right um my question though is to your point about our kids
challenged with right now with my oldest is we'll go through like I, example yesterday you know I have him he's five and trying to teach him how to read so I say hey spell apple right and I don't really expect him to get it right right um, he's only five but you know try and get the phonics right you know sound it out and just give it your best shot and he'll start crying you know if he doesn't get it off the bat or if you know I say no wrong try again and I'm not giving him the answer right and he does it in other all the time and it's really annoying to your point it's like yo why are you crying and I find myself saying to him mm-hmm. like, yes, like bro I'm going to give you a reason to cry like you really don't understand the difference between pain mm-hmm. <laughs> and just crying because you don't know an answer my mom used to beat my ass okay <laughs> like, I don't want to do that right I guess I'm asking you guys because you guys got kids older than me like how how do you how do you meet that? Like, I'm, I'm struggling with trying to figure out. My wife was there, so she kind of helped us to work through it, but it's a challenge for both of us. Like, dude, there's no reason for you to be crying. If it's asking you a question, you better work through it. Yeah, and sometimes you have to, like, what well, my kids always ask, why are you crying? Because that's the the foundation, right? I'm crying because I'm, I'm hurt. Okay, okay, cry for a few minutes, you know, but you ultimately have to talk about it. I'm crying because, you know, my sister won't give me the, the Kindle. Okay, let's talk about that. Because, you have to understand when they're young, that's all they have. That's the only way they have to express themselves is through crying. When they come out the womb, they're spanked and they cry, right? We don't know you alive until you cry. So I get it. I guess it's just asking the question, why are you crying? And then we have to kind of like, okay, that is something I, you, you probably should cry about. I remember I asked my son one time, he was crying and to me, it was over nothing. Right. But I had to get his perspective. And again, that's being present and mindful. And I may not have the answers, but I'm doing I'm starting to do the work. So I was like, why are you crying, son? I was like, hey, man, you need to. And I didn't yell at him. I was like, hey, hey, you need to stop crying because I need to talk to you. Right. And he said, I can't. He's like, I want to stop crying, Dad. He's like, I just, he didn't have the switch to turn it off, right? And I was like, okay, man, well, you know, you go ahead and get that out, man. You know, let him cry. And then we revisit it. So what was happening? Not why were you crying, but what happened, right? And then he'll tell me what happened. And then I'll say, well, typically that's not something you want to cry about. What you should do in that is tell her how you feel or tell this person this. Or, you know, there's another way to deal with it other than tears because tears is kind of a... Even now, as a man, you just, I don't have the tools, so I just cry. Or, I've allowed this thing to build so much that I just, I just cry. And it does feel refreshing, but imagine if you learned to deal with your emotions as they're coming, you'd be healthier. Because what happens is we're like a soda can. It just keeps getting shook and shook and shook, and then you, you can come home and your wife can say the wrong thing, and she's the one who popped the top. Now you spilled all over her, and that didn't belong to her. And it only happened is because we didn't tool ourselves up to be able to deal with the stuff. And that's the dangers in life. When you don't know how to deal and express yourself, stuff just builds. And you get pulled over by a cop at the wrong time and you carrying all this stuff in you, you might spill on this cop and it may cost you your life. Versus if you were just twiddling your thumbs, everything's great and the cop pulled you over, you know, you might address that situation in a different light. But now it's like, you let it get to a point where I had enough, right? And now this cop pulled you over. He the nicest guy in the world. But he's wearing a suit. And somebody's been shaking your can. And you have not equipped yourself with the tools. So now we got a volatile situation. Because the cop is just going to say, ask you for your registration, your license. And he's the one who's going to pop your top. But again, because we don't have the tools. Or we 
it started somewhere else, right? It's never that interaction. Something happened along the way, either with you or with him, that we failed to deal with. So now we're already dealing with the situation at a four instead of a zero. So, Los, everybody, everybody be quiet for a second. I'm at, well, let me let me work up to this book. Do you do you own a firearm? Yes. Okay. Quam, do you have a firearm? No. Okay. So talk to us about Los. Do you have do you have a firearm, Los? I have several. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And talk us through that. Where did this Where did this come from? Your uh, you being a student, you know, I'll say it that way, a student of weaponry, of firearms? Where did this come from? Well, I had a, I had a stepdad who was a, a Vallejo police officer. And I guess it, he started me off with a, a pellet gun. I, we didn't really have like a good relationship, but I guess he wanted to have a good relationship with me. And so what he would do, he would take me to shoot this pellet gun and then gradually worked up to a firearm and teach me how to shoot. So when I was like, I had to be like maybe six or seven, I could take apart a pistol, put it back together and shoot it. Kind of like how uh, white folks teach their kids, I I would say. Uh, And from then on, I've always been kind of fascinated uh, by firearms. I never, you know, got in trouble or anything with firearm, but I've always had them. And then when I got of age to own a firearm legally, <laughs> that was air quotes, you know, everybody, air quotes. <laughs> yeah, you know, I uh, I started having them, and then I got into uh, finding out, you know, what you need to do to get a concealed weapons permit. And I've had a concealed weapons permit for. Uh, 10, 12 years now. Mm-hmm. Like I told you the other night, uh, I got one for your state and I got a California one. So with the two that I have, I'm, a- I'm able to carry a firearm in about 38 states because, you know, we, we, we do a lot of traveling um, and I've taken a lot of training, spent wasted a lot of money on some training. I don't want to say wasted, but that's what Trisha say, I wasted. <laughs> and uh, I just feel like, like black folks, they, they kind of have a, I don't know, some have like a fear of firearms. They feel like that we can't do this and we can't do that. And we actually can. Uh, if we, if a lot of us knew more of our rights, we educated ourselves on what we can and can't do when it comes to firearms. You know, I have a lot of friends that they don't want to go to the shooting range because they feel like when you give them your ID, that they're running your ID. And <laughs> the shooting range doesn't have that capability, mm-hmm. for one thing. They, they, they take your, your license because the shooting range has a high rate of uh, suicide. You know, somebody go in there, rent a firearm, and then shoot themselves in the, in the range. So they hold on to your ID just to see who you are in case something happens. You shoot somebody, you run out of there, they have your ID. They can say, who did this? You know, you know I, just, I just feel like... That's something, for a long time I've been saying that's something that we need to have. We need to be able to protect ourselves, especially now, in this climate right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I, I have several. I mean, you know, you can only you can only shoot two at a time because you only got two hands, but I got about, yeah, I got about like 20. And do you, you build them now? Do you build them? <laughs> Yeah, and that's and that's a hobby too. I specialize in Glock pistols, nineteen eleven pistols, 
and AR rifles, and I do have uh, a couple of exotics, uh, shotgun exotic pistols that, you know, I got a pistol that only shoots, uh, there's only three, actually three guns that shoot this caliber, 5.7 uh, caliber, 5.7 by 28 mil. It's, it's just a pain to try to find that ammo, but, you know, I just, it's kind of like I got into a hobby. I mean, I, I do have a firearm to protect myself and my family, but, you know, I like to build, I like to repair, you know, people that I know that needs work or whatever, I'm, you know, make a little side money off of it, mm-hmm. you know, working on people's stuff that's broken or they want some upgrades to make it more custom to their hand or to their grip, stuff like that. So it's, you know, I, I used to get, uh, I used to get people kind of look at me like I'm crazy, but I'm like, they have shows on TV where, you know, guys of other races are doing this and it's a whole show. <laughs> and then I do it and it's some, you know, you put this criminal aspect of what I'm doing to a hobby, you know. So uh, it get kind of funny sometimes, but everybody know I got guns. Mm-hmm. I don't think I don't think anybody doesn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> so let me drop just a couple quick questions. I want to be sensitive to everybody's time, but uh, one that we can't avoid here is, and I'll just shoot this to you, book first. What do you say to those out there in response to to what's happening to our black men at the hands of law enforcement? So a lot of people say they sit back and they say, well, if he or she would have just complied with that officer, that wouldn't have happened. Or if he wouldn't have broken the law, that wouldn't have happened. You know, what do you say to that? Uh, Yeah, I say a lot of people full of shit. (laughs) You you can sit around like the... if it wasn't for the fact that it was dealing with people's lives, you could just write it off as Monday morning quarterbacking. But in, in reality, for us, it's a deadly adventure, right? So so I used to work with a lot of law enforcement folks, uh, probation and police. And uh, I would ask them, you know, so what is the thing about the, the attitude test, right? So if you, if you have a good attitude, your encounter with law enforcement should go, should go relatively smoothly. Uh, barring any warrants or anything like that, should go relatively smoothly. So I said, well, what's, why should I have to act real nice to you in order for that to go smoothly? Because uh, the fear about the encounter uh, leaves me saying thank you to an officer that just gave me a ticket. To, to whom else would I thank for giving me something that I would have to pay money for? I would never do that. But in order to drive away safely, I feel like I need to end that with a smile and a thank you. To not be on the curb, not have to wait, not have to go through a felony stop. Um, and that's ridiculous because that shouldn't have anything to do with our encounter. Our encounter is if I did something wrong. If I did something wrong, then I should have to pay for the thing that I did wrong. But I should not have to smile. I should not have to go through this as a pleasant experience if, if it is indeed not a pleasant experience. So for anybody that says... Like, if, you if he would have just complied, it wouldn't have gone that way. Not complying doesn't equal death. You should not get shot because you didn't comply. You should get shot if you were a threat. If you are a credible threat, then you get shot. What can you, what can you say about that? I had a gun. I could get shot. That makes a whole lot of sense. But if you're telling me that I was belligerent, 
or I didn't like the way our conversation was going and I let you know it, nobody should put their hands on me. Nobody should shoot me. I think the folks that say that are looking for a reason to excuse the poor behavior of the police officer. And in truth, because of their oath, their standard is higher than the public, that they are supposed to be better than that, not worse. So you can't come to a place, you can't go do a welfare check on a lady with your finger on the trigger sneaking through a backyard. That's not what you do. You knock on the door, nobody answers. You walk away and you get in your car and you drive away and you say, I didn't get an answer. You no, know, so anything uh, like the, when the, the young man was shot in the back as he was fleeing, as he was fleeing. If you shoot somebody in the back, I was always taught that if you shot somebody in the, in the back, that meant you were a coward because you didn't face them. But because he got into a scuffle, a non-life-threatening scuffle, and then ran away, he was the victim. He was murdered for that because I, I, my own, only my humble opinion that he got the best of that physical exchange. <laughs> and now you're not going to run away and get away with this. You get shot in the back. I think that is a, I think for those that want to excuse behavior, that's fine. I don't know that they would tolerate that kind of behavior if it was their children that were having those kinds of encounters with the police. My guess is that they would be down at the police department making complaints about how their children were handled. And in fact, I witnessed some of those complaints when I was working for a police department because of the way that the officer was talking mm -hmm. to the youth. Not because they got shot but just because of the way they were talking to the youth. So I think if it was happening in their community, in other folks' community, like it happens in our community where we have to have talks, we've had talks given to us by our parents and we have to give talks to our children about how they have to act in the presence of law enforcement. If they had those things as a reality, they would be just as outraged. And I'll say to that too, it's almost like, well, your daughter got raped. Well, she shouldn't have been wearing that dress. It's kind of right. from the same tree. And and I also say to that, I don't know what people are talking about because I've had a gun at my head four times and I may have stole a snicker when I was 12 years old. Because of everything that's happening right now, this climate, you know, we're trying to get some empathy and things like that. How many people have you had to sever relationships with because this has forced their hand and their true colors have finally come to light? You know, I had, I told you uh, about a, a certain individual that we, you know, play baseball with. Mm -hmm. uh, he became a police officer and started, and he took on that uh, policeman mentality. And you know, he's it, it was like it's almost like they they test uh, what what kind of like borderline racist comments kind of like a little gray area you know where you like you know kind of be like did he just say that or is he uh, did i hear what i just thought i heard <coughs> so it's been a lot uh, our president has helped us see uh things that we might not have wanted to see in some of the people that would uh you know I, I feel like that you know I'm, I'm like you you know you could like whoever you want to like um i'm never gonna say well i'm only gonna vote democrat or i'm only gonna vote republican or you know whatever mm -hmm. uh, my thing is whoever the president is should be the president of all people not just some people um and that's how that's my take on that 
I don't look at it like like Republicans and Democrats right. is basically Crips and Bloods, you know. <laughs> uh, you know, they, they even wear their colors, to be honest, blue and red. So, uh, you know, it, it's, it, it shouldn't be like that. Sometimes your feelings get kind of hurt because you grow up with these individuals, play sports with them all through your childhood, and then become adults, and they turn into something different. Right. They transform like a... A, a, a caterpillar and, 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 and a cocoon turn into a butterfly. Hmm. You know, it, it's crazy. You know, we from Vallejo. Vallejo's hella diverse. You know, if you're playing baseball, you're playing baseball with all kind of different folks. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're playing football, you're playing football with all kind of different folks. You know, Vallejo is a, a sports town, period. And then for you to have a childhood friend and then they change up on you, it, it kind of hurts your feelings. You know, you, you wouldn't think that they would go that route. You know, I, I've, I've, I've lost a few people within the last couple, two years. Scratched them right off my Facebook list, you know. <laughs> and it's not just white folks. It's, it's, a, it's a lot of them is Latino. It's, it's some of my Latino partners, they don't think they Latino. They think they white. That's weird in itself. But, you know, hey, I can't be in your mind and, and, and correct your own thoughts. So it's crazy. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's, it's really crazy. And I'll say this too, and I speak for everybody on this podcast, this is one note that I think people, mostly white people, don't understand about us, is when we see what the police are doing, we're watching too. And there's one or two, we say, oh, he should have got his ass kicked, right? So we don't think that Mm -hmm. just because they're black, you know, what are you doing? We assess the situation and be like, man, what? You know better. Yeah, you should have. Yeah, that was justified. So it's not like we're on this one side just making it a race thing. We look at it objectively, and there are some should have got his ass whooped. So kudos, good job, officer. But for the majority, well, for all, nobody, no matter what color, no matter what age, no matter what gender, no unarmed human being deserves to lose their life at the hands of those who are sworn to protect and serve. This is this country is... is is great, but it could be better if it would just open his eyes, open its eyes, take some responsibility and ownership, show some empathy, and then make change. That's that's as simple as that. So my last question to each of you, because you are on the I Am Necessary podcast, every one of my guests gets this question, and that question is, what makes you necessary? So I'm gonna start with you, Quam. What makes you necessary? Yo, I'm necessary because somebody needs to turn my boys to men. Two, two young boys, like, that is more than 100% my focus. Everything I do, I never thought I'd look, I never thought father would be like this. Like, everything I do, every single move I make, I just want to make sure that they're strong and capable. Okay. So I'm necessary. All right. Los, what makes you necessary? Probably the same lines as, uh, what Kwame was speaking on, I, I have a family that depends on me. I'm breaking the cycle of not, you know, being of of not being a father that's not around. Uh, you know, like I said, I've been married 29 years. I don't have any children with any other woman. Uh, you know, all the children I have is from the same woman, and they look they look up to me, and and that makes me feel good because I didn't. I didn't have that opportunity, you know. And, and and for me, it's it's a it's a learning process to be a father because you know it's. Some things that you don't get, you can't get from your grandmother, or you can't get from your uncles. So, uh, you know, we learn together. And I tell my kids, I say, hey, you know, I might not be absolutely right, but, you know, work with me. You know, mm-hmm. we'll get through this together, whatever it is they're going through. 
and then I'm dealing with with them. So that's I feel that's what makes me necessary. I'm I'm necessary to them. They look to me, mm-hmm. and I and I provide my protection and my love. All right, what what makes you necessary, sir? That would be Trinity Makai and Ashanti. My three daughters uh, make me necessary. It's my responsibility to raise them up with some discernment about y'all, y'all sons, if you will, <laughs> um, to be able to recognize when uh, they are being treated correctly, the way they should be treated, and to recognize also not to go for that, that okie doke, that, that if you want to have a man or somebody in your life uh, that respects you, you have to respect them and understand, like, for instance, if your man is crying, how to be supportive to him and not use that as something, as a judgment against him. To be able to recognize when you have goodness in front of you, and so you're not looking for a quote-unquote bad boy, but you're looking for somebody who actually will remind you of your father, who is a protector of you. That makes me necessary. And Frank and Lily Booker made it so that I had to be necessary. All right. All right, well, thank you, young men, for taking the time to uh, bless me and my platform. Um, This is the I Am Necessary podcast. This is your guy, Marcel. And as always, be needed, be necessary. And if you make it wrong, do what you have to do to make it right. And I'm out.